Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. But it's because you can't fail if you're faithful. Because failure is not dependent upon your child's choices or behavior. It's about you walking with them. That's Crystal Payne, and she joins us today on Focus on the Family to share her journey of allowing God's love to transform her parenting. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we've talked to many parenting experts who say to let go and allow your kids to make mistakes. But it's a lot easier said than done, right? Uh, In reality, many parents spend their days frustrated, I'm speaking out of my own experience, (laughs) by their kids' behavior uh, because I think we tend to own too much of it. You know, Mm -hmm. it reflects upon us. And uh, that never is good when they're not keeping their room clean and they're not doing the things they need to do. If you can relate to this, uh, it's worth considering what's at the root of your fear when it comes to your parenting style. And I'm, I'm speaking, like I said to myself, Gene and I, we have battled this because we wanted certain perfection out of our boys. And really, Jean led the way. She was so good at turning the corner and going, you know what? we got to love our kids mm-hmm. first and foremost. And I guess that is why I'm excited today to talk to our guest. She's written a great book, Love-Centered Parenting. And uh, I always am looking for this kind of content for you to hear because I think this is at the core of many of the problems we face in Christian families. Mm, I I would agree, Jim, and uh, we're so glad Crystal Payne is with us, Uh, and uh, we're so glad Crystal Payne is with us. Uh, She's known as the Money-Saving Mom, that's the name of her very popular website. Uh, Crystal and her husband, Jesse, have four children, and uh, she's written, as you said, this book, Love-Centered Parenting, The No-Fail Guide to Launching Your Kids. And of course, we do have copies of that here at the ministry. Just call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Crystal, welcome back to Focus on the Family. I'm so excited to be back here. I love this topic. I hope you heard that in the opening. I mean, I've been waiting to talk to somebody, especially a mom, about this because it just seems to be at the core of so many issues in Christian families, particularly because we have this drive toward living life as perfectly as we can. And then we lay it on our kids to to do that as well. And they've got growing pains to go through, right? Mm, yes. <laughs> and it's hard. Uh, describe your family. Let's start there. Uh, before turning uh, toward a love-based parenting style, what did your family look like? I feel like it all started with me that I had so much stress. I constantly felt like I wasn't doing enough. I was constantly going to bed psychoanalyzing and second-guessing myself. I should have done that. Why did I do that? Why did I respond like that? And I felt this weight on me of that it was never enough and that everyone else was doing it so much better than me. And I was just constantly failing my kids. And it was also that weight of my reputation. I cared so much what other people thought of me as a parent. And it just was constant exhaustion and stress. There was a moment where this kind of became uh, the moment of awareness. Mm -hmm. I think you were dropping one of your children off at school and Mm -hmm. something went down that got your attention. What happened? Yes. So it was about four years ago and our kids were going to this little Christian school and my husband was dropping the three of them off. And the principal met him and said, I need to meet with you and your wife and one of a specific child after school. And he came home and he told me this and he's like, 
this is not good. You know, like we just both felt like we don't know what this is about, right. but something really bad is about Ominous. to go down. And we were just kind of trying to think through everything that had happened the last week, and we couldn't come up with what could this be. And what happened? So we <laughs> I mean, go, so go into the, the principal's office, and the principal tells us that our child had done something that had broken the school's code of conduct and was very serious, and that swift action needed to be taken. And we were just really blindsided by the whole thing because it had just happened the day before we thought everything was fine like we had never the day before it was just a normal day and our child had really hidden this from us and then wasn't even willing to in the principal's office admit that they had done that and it took a long time for our child to actually say no I did I did that. And so then we spent the next few weeks really meeting with families and unpacking and trying to figure out, you know, what is going on? How did we miss this? And finding out that there was so much more than just this one incident. And that's really hard as a parent to feel like you've completely missed something that your child was really struggling with and had been struggling with for months. In fact, we found out that a lot of the other parents had been talking. A lot of them had gone to the principal um, and that they had even labeled our child a bully. And we were clueless. Yeah. You know, and it, it, I get that because you see one side of your child at home and you don't totally dial in and you're just moving along blindly. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of parents could relate to that situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you get that phone call from a friend saying, hey, you know, my son told me that your son or what have you. And then you got to deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. So you ended up, you did get into some uh, therapy for this child. Uh, the therapist had some interesting uh, challenges for you, but for yes. you, not necessarily for your child. What was that about? Yes. So it really spiraled out our child. This kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back because then everything kind of came to the surface and they became extremely vitriolic and then their their anxiety was through the roof and then it was depression and then it turned into suicidal um, things that they were saying. We ended up in the ER and it was a really scary time as a parent and we were finally able to get our child into therapy and I remember just sitting across from the therapist at that initial meeting, our child wasn't there, and just saying, if there is anything you can come up with that I can change or do, would you please let me know because I'm just at a loss. And a few weeks later, after therapy with our child, this therapist called me back in after she dismissed our child and she said, I think you're trying so hard to fix your child what would it look like to just walk with them instead? Huh. That had to be a bit of a shock, right? Well, I, I started paying attention because at first I was like, fix them? Like I, I feel like I'm trying to walk with them. But then I paid attention to my responses. And when something was going wrong, when a child was acting out, when they were arguing or fighting or they'd done something, I would instantly just swoop in and try to fix it. Like I needed to get into sermon mode. We needed to take care of this. We needed to address this. And so much of my time was spent correcting my Mm -hmm. kids and very little time was spent actually connecting with them. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I remember taking each of my sons, I took them on something that Focus does here, Adventures in Fatherhood. 
And so you're out in the wilderness, you're in a small group of about five or six dads with either their daughter or son, and we're sitting around the campfire one night, and the, the guide is asking Troy, my youngest, some questions, and I found myself jumping in. I mean, I was, if he didn't answer them quickly enough, you know, I was saying, well, Troy enjoys this, that, or that, and finally he turned to me and just said, why don't you let Troy answer the questions? Mm. And it was like a brick wall had hit me, you know, and it got my attention, and, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I was trying to overparent in. I was trying to bolster his responses, right? Mm-hmm. Give him a little juice, help him with what to think about and say. So I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that had to be such a serious time for you and your husband and your child. Yes, uh, it was. And I think for me, it really, I hit rock bottom as a parent. And just, it. I realized what I'm doing is not working. And something needs to change. And so when the therapist said that to me, I started just really looking inward and digging into what is the root of this? Why do I feel like I need to be fixing my child? Why am I trying to be my child's savior and Holy Spirit? Why do I think it all depends on me? This is a really heavy weight to carry. And as I dug into that and started you know, just really paying attention, I realized it went back to a dysfunctional view of God Hmm. that I didn't realize how much I was loved by God. And I was parenting so much in order to earn approval from others and earn approval from God. Like I thought if I could just be a good parent, then other people would think well of me. I cared so much about my reputation and it was about reputation not relationship Mm -hmm. with my kids. And I just had to then dig more into that. And I realized that there were so many lies that I was believing about myself, that I'm a failure, I'm a mistake, I'm not enough. And just on and on and on it went. And I was living in those lies and letting those lies be the labels that I wore and that I led with and parented from. Yeah. Crystal, it's so refreshing to hear such vulnerable... Uh, expression mm-hmm. of what we go through as parents. And I, I guess one of the questions I'd have for the mom listening, I'm trying to think of where she's at right now, and she hasn't been able to make the leap yet. Mm-hmm. You know, she recognizes the load. She feels that burden like what it was for you to lay your head on the pillow and just go after yourself mm-hmm. for not being the perfect mom. How would you encourage somebody who's still there at point A to get to point B. I mean, there's no formula to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a recognition of I'm doing this out of my own strength. All the things that you're saying, ha- if that mom was sitting right where I'm at, what would you say to her to stop and look at this differently? Yeah. How, how do you disengage in that behavior that you have and re-engage with the Lord and do it better? First off, I would say just over the next 24 hours, pay attention to the narrative, the words that you say about yourself and the words that you allow in your head. Are you constantly going to places that aren't true? Like what does God actually say about you in his word? You are redeemed, you are chosen, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are beautiful. When he looks at you as a child of God, he sees Jesus, you're covered in the blood. And so if you're constantly going around saying, I'm a failure, I'm a mistake, everything that I do is just a disappointment to everyone in my life, and you're just beating yourself up as a mom, 
you're living in lies. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio magazine. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio Radio. Good parents aren't perfect, and that's okay. But there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the Family's Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas that could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature, and responsible children. And this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash 7Trades. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash 7Trades. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Crystal, I really want to get into some practical help for those moms who are going, okay, this is me. I'm living this now. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And uh, in your book, you mentioned four important choices in parenting. The first one being lean in and love. I think you're alluding to that a couple of times here that you got to listen. Describe more fully what lean in and love looks like. Yes. And it's interesting because the subtitle of the book is the no-fail guide to launching your kids. And people are like, well, how can you, you know, really say that the no-fail guide but it's because you can't fail if you're faithful because failure is not dependent upon your child's choices or behaviors. It's about you walking with them. Yeah. And so leaning in and loving them, it's this posture of letting God's love flow through you. And I truly believe that as parents, we have this desire to love our kids, but until we have that wellspring of love, of understanding how much we're loved by God, we can't wholeheartedly love our kids. And so we've got to get this right inside for us before we can really pour out God's love to our kids. Yeah. Leaning in love is a great concept. Let me play the provocateur here. There's going to be some parents that are going to say, yeah, that's all good. Love is good, but uh, discipline's important too. They need to know the boundaries. And how do you relate to that parent that may be leaning a little strongly in that direction. Boundaries are good. You need mm -hmm. to teach your kids discipline. That's all true. But how do you do that leaning in and loving them? Well, first off, I would say, what is that desire for boundaries? Where's that coming from? What is the root of that? And is it, is it about your own need to control? Is there fear? That's a great first question. <laughs> is there wow. fear or pride or selfishness? A lot of times at the root of us feeling like we want to discipline our kids it's that need to control. It's our own fear of what the future is going to look like. It's our own pride of what other people think about our parenting. Or it's our own selfishness because we just want our life to be easier. And so if we set these boundaries, it's going to make our life easier. So really getting to the root of, is it out of love for our kids? Or is it out of our own dysfunctional junk that we need to deal with? <laughs> and those are good questions. Look, on that lean in and love, you had an experience uh, where I think you asked your kids a very you know, brave question as a parent. What did you ask them? How did they respond? Yes. So we try to 
just have this open door policy with our kids, especially as we've had this shift. And so letting them, you know, come to us and tell us things where we're being hypocritical, which is really hard as a parent. <laughs> That's a great parenting <laughs> But tactic. one time we were on a trip, it was a few years ago, and we just asked because, you know, road trips are great for having family conversations. Everybody has to be a part of the conversation because they're in the car. And right. so we just asked them, what do I do as a parent that makes you feel loved? And what do I do as a parent that makes you feel unloved? And it was fascinating, the responses, but so much of it dealt with that we didn't listen well, you know, that we would just kind of jump into preaching a sermon or just telling them what they should do, telling them what they should know, or that we just weren't taking enough time with them. It's quality and quantity time and just really looking into their eyes and letting them know, I care about you. I value what you have to say. And I, it's not just about my own agenda for you. There was a time your child was being disrespectful. I don't know which one you do. <laughs> <laughs> and they knew the consequences for their actions. What, what happened? and how did you manage that one? Well, there's been many times that our children have been disrespectful. <laughs> just, 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 just put that yeah, out there. This one sticks out. <laughs> I didn't write a parenting book because I have it all figured out, trust me. Um, but one of the times, it was just there had been this thing that I, I told our child, you know, if you do this, there's going to be this consequence, and the child had done it. And um, so I'd gone back to them, and I'd said, you know, okay, there's this consequence. And then there was just this... Thing in my heart over the next day that I felt like God wanted me to go back and actually take away that consequence and say, I'm going to let you do this thing that they had wanted to do that I'd taken away. And when I went to them and said that, my child just looked at me and they said, what? That's grace. And it was just that recognition of, you know, I'm not saying, I feel like choices have consequences, but every once in a while, if the Holy Spirit is just prompting you, sometimes for our child to see us extend grace to them. And that opened up the door for just a conversation about how much grace God has poured on us that we don't deserve. And so using those opportunities as just the opening of a door to a conversation to point our kids to the Lord. I think that that's ultimately what we want to do is just pointing them to Jesus in our everydayness of life. You know, I think we, it's really profound what you're saying, because I think we miss that um, important teaching and to teach our children about God's grace. Mm -hmm. We lean into the rules and, you know, tell them what God expects of us and those Mm -hmm. things. But we don't make it, I, I'm being general here, but I don't think we do enough to teach about God's mm-hmm. grace. And that's a great mm-hmm. example of how your kids caught that, certainly mm-hmm. your one child. Okay, so we uh, lean in and love. That's one of the four choices we as parents make. The next is uh, to listen well. I love this one because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I'm usually talking over my kids. So how do we stop and truly listen well? So we come with this attitude of, I care about you, and I want to lean in and just express love to you. And then stop and ask them questions. So often when something has happened, I will jump to conclusions or project my own beliefs on what has happened, whether you get an email from school or a call from school or a friend tells you something your child did or another child tells you something your child did. And I'll just go into, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. And we just need to get this taken care of. But to lean in and love and to listen well means that take a breath and ask them questions first. And so one of the things that I'll often do with my kids is say, 
can you tell me what happened in this situation? Or I got this email today from school. Can you explain what happened? Giving them the opportunity to explain it to me first versus me just jumping into, I cannot believe that you did that. And so often that will open up the door to a conversation that we never would have had if I had just jumped on them and gone to, okay, well, here's the consequence. And I I challenge parents to recognize this. Literally this morning, Jean was telling me, Troy and I are going to do a little weekend road trip. And she said, now, when you ask Troy a question, if he's sitting silently, don't fill it in for him. I mean, so I'm totally guilty of that. I, uh, you know, I'm trying to do better. Uh, the third one is uh, the choice to lead with humility. This can be really hard for parents too, but I totally agree with this, Crystal. This is so important. I think our kids need to see that we're not perfect. Yes. And I think it's important that they recognize how much we need Jesus and that without him, we're not able to do life. And so leading with humility involves sometimes going back to our kids and asking for forgiveness, which is really hard to do. But I just want to say, let's make this a practice that is normal in our home because we are going to fail. We are going to mess up. We are going to make mistakes. And so for us to go back to our kids when we've responded out of anger or when we haven't handled a situation well, we haven't listened, we've shut them down, to go back and say, you know, yesterday when that happened, I just didn't respond to you well. Would you please forgive me? I'm really working on this in my life. And I think it also really just opens up the door for our kids to then come to us and share when they're struggling. And for our kids to see how we need Jesus, it's going to point them to look to Jesus when they're going through hard times too. And that's the best parenting you can do, Mm. really. The fourth one is letting go of your child. What? What? (laughs) Crystal, are you crazy? Um, obviously it's age appropriate. Mm-hmm. You don't let a three-year-old go, but you know, talk to that issue of letting go. If you're a, a mom and dad of young children, you're saying, what are you talking about? If you're a mom and dad of 15, 16, 17 year olds, you know exactly what we're talking about. H- how do you let go? Letting go, I really feel like it starts in your own heart. It's that those hands open to resting in God's plan for our children and trusting him with our kids. So it starts with that. But then I think let's not wait until our kids are 15, 16, 17 to start thinking, oh, yeah, they are going to leave the nest someday. As they're younger, as they show, like you said, age appropriate, let's give them opportunities to practice being adults. And one of the things about that is then they're going to make some mistakes. And guess what? Then we can be there to kind of walk with them through those mistakes. And so not too long ago, one of my kids, um, they really wanted to buy this new set of earbuds. And they wanted (laughs) these really expensive set of earbuds. And, And I was like, okay. And they had found them off of one of those sites that is not super reputable. And I asked them a few questions and they plunked down a lot of money on these earbuds that did not work. And it was such a good opportunity for us to just, you know, talk about this. And, you know, I said, can you go back? And is there anything you can do to get your money back? No. But they said, I learned a lot from this, you know, so we were able to have that conversation. And so often, it opens up just those conversations when we allow them to little bit by little bit, we are letting them go. We're raising them to be adults, not kids. And I think it's really important also to recognize that are we setting rules and boundaries for our kids just because it's we want to keep them safe? 
And I think so often that we are not setting them up for success in life if we make all the decisions for them, especially as they get older, but raising them to learn to seek the Lord themselves and to make some decisions themselves so that they get in that habit and that practice of learning wise decision making. When you tie this all up in a neat bow, all the things that you've learned, and again, I so appreciate your forthrightness and your vulnerability in this. Because we all need to learn from it, and we all need to be more honest, I think, as parents in how we're doing. Um, Speak again to that mom or dad listening who's saying, okay, I have done everything out of fear. What I'm hearing you say is me. It's what I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, What can they do today, again, to move toward a healthier approach, kind of putting all four of these together? I would just encourage any parent who is listening who is feeling that weight of exhaustion, that stress of wanting to do everything right, and you don't want to live like that anymore, to recognize you are so loved by your Heavenly Father. Start with camping in His love. You can't love your kids well if you don't believe that you're loved yourself. And so going back to the Word of God and really looking at what does He say about you and just really, really, really letting that soak in to your soul. Mm. And then you can let yourself be a conduit to your kids. And you have so much more rest because when you know how much you're loved by God, it doesn't matter what other people think about your parenting. It doesn't matter. Honestly, at the end of the day, the choices and behaviors of your kids, that's not the biggest thing. Knowing how much you're loved by God and being able to walk in that love with your kids, I truly believe that's what's going to change their lives profoundly. You know, that is so good. And I'm thinking of the Lord saying, you know, my my yoke is easy. My burden mm-hmm. is light. You sure, Lord? Even in parenting? <laughs> yes. Even in parenting, that yoke can be far lighter than the way we're making it. And I think that's what you're expressing. Mm-hmm. God's way is a more perfect way. Mm-hmm. And it's rooted in love. And even if in that you're saying, well, wait a minute, Jim, I'd say check your heart. Start digging like Crystal has suggested to say what's motivating you to respond in certain ways. Crystal, this is great material. I've been really looking forward to talking with you because this is a book that I have thought and talked about. Uh, with other people for two years. I just didn't know you were going to be writing it. And the content is outstanding. And I think this goes right to the core of fixing so many parenting issues that we have today so that our kids can be healthier Mm. and really understand God's love for them. Mm. What more important thing can we talk about Mm. than feeling the love of God and living that out and loving your neighbor, right? That's what it's for. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. And I'll remind our listeners that Focus on the Family is here to help you with any challenges you may be facing in your family. Um, We've got a free assessment on our website. You can learn about the seven traits of effective parenting when you go there. Uh, It's a great tool to help you gauge your strengths and maybe some areas for growth in your parenting. And one thing, too, um, we want you to get this book. So if you can make a gift of any amount, if you could become a monthly giver and help do ministry together to help other families, uh, join us. And for a gift of any amount, uh, we'll send you a copy of Crystal's book as our way of saying thank you. Mm -hmm. And to donate and get your copy of Crystal's book or to take that free parenting assessment, stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Or if you have questions, give us a call, 800, the letter A, and the word family. 
On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. I don't want to be in ministry. I don't want to fix this so that I have to go back to church. So you're done. I, I wanted to be have permission to leave church. Huh. And wow. I wasn't prepared to engage with people. I didn't want to meet new people. I didn't want to put the smile on and have the, hi, I'm Pauline. And yeah, I, I didn't have any. No, I appreciate that. A, a, a space for your any, tank was empty. It was it was done. This is Focus on the Family, and today you'll hear about the unique challenges and stresses that pastors face, and how you can help and encourage those who serve in your local church. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, I don't know that we think enough about our pastoral care folks, and sometimes that's taking them for granted. And today we want to concentrate on how they're serving, what the pressures are for them and for their families, and what we can do to encourage our pastors. October is Clergy Appreciation Month, a time when we recognize and celebrate our pastors and their families. Just think about everything a pastor is trying to do, counseling and praying over hurting families, visiting people in the hospital and the shut-ins, teaching and preaching, of course. And I would think feeling great at every Sunday. Was it a good sermon or maybe it was a D minus? I mean, you're saying bye to people at the door and you're looking at them saying, okay, did I hit the mark? I mean, it's got to be very, um, you know, difficult at times. And I know pastors feel under tremendous pressure. And we want to talk about that today. One, so you're aware of it. And two, we have a solution that you might be able to help pastors do better. Yeah. So we have a panel of guests today in the studio, and they're going to describe offering hope and godly encouragement to pastors and their spouses through the retreat centers they direct. There are retreat centers across the U.S. and Canada that really reach out and help church and ministry leaders, and we'll post a list of those ministries at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Marshall and Mary Izinga are with us, and they served as pastors for 35 years in Ontario, Canada, and they co-direct the Carith Creek Retreat Center in Alberta, and we also have Sam and Pauline Dirksen. They were pastors for 22 years and they now co-direct the Kareth Pines Retreat Center in Manitoba. Let me say welcome to all of you to Focus. Thank you. Thank you. Now, did we describe that pretty well? I mean, you have been pastors for many years, and you've counseled pastors for many years. Did I miss anything, or was that a fairly good description? No, what I would add to that as you were talking is the fact that pastors are really first responders. Hmm. When you think of what they do, uh, you talked about counseling, and those counseling opportunities come not only in an office, it can come in a hospital room, it can come around mm-hmm. a coffee table. And as people pour their hearts out to the pastor, the pastor hears a lot of things, carries a lot of weight. And that can, that's a tremendous burden at times mm-hmm. to carry. What are some of those uh, routine things that we as lay people may not understand that really do lay a heavy emotional burden on a pastoral couple? Well, I think as uh, 
uh, there's this vicarious trauma in a sense. So mm. we're walking alongside people that are in the hospital and other places, and um, we're affected by that. People, pastors, are affected by uh, caring for others. It's not without an effect. And uh, I think of Luke chapter 8, where uh, Jesus is walking in the crowd, and a lady, the woman, touches him, and she's healed. And he turns around and says, you know, I felt that some power left me. What happened? Who is that? It does take something. We're mm. affected by it. Now, that's Jesus, and we are human pastors. Uh, mm. We will be affected by helping others and in the way we help them. We need to be careful about that. I think another dynamic that happens when you're coming alongside families and you're in the, the heat, if you will, the heat of the trauma, the heat of the despair and the grieving, and you come home and your family, your kids didn't know what you had to face today right. and they want to engage with you and yet you're trying but you can't and so it affects not only the pastor and his wife or his spouse but your kids sense that something's off but they don't know what happened yeah. <laughs> and so that's an interesting dynamic that other families may not be aware of yeah and I, you know being a pastor's spouse, I mean, that's really critical too. What demand, how did you feel in that role? Um, you know, often to me, there's a sense of having to be perfect, making sure everything is exactly right, making sure the kids behave perfectly. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing amount of pressure. How do you not take the bait to try to be all that? <laughs> well, it was a challenge, no question. I was a preacher's kid. And so I saw my mom, the way to carry the weight of that. So I think I went into ministry with some additional baggage. Um, but as I grew, and I think it depends on which church, right? Sure. Which church you're in, what environment you're in, how much they expect. We were in a larger church, multi-staff, so I didn't carry the weight of that. Sometimes they weren't even sure who was the lead pastor's wife, and that was a help to mm, me. Yeah. But there were certainly times of real loneliness. And who does the pastor's wife tell that she's lonely or she's struggling? And um, that was a challenge for me. I How did know. you solve that? What advice do you have to the pastor's wife who's listening? You know, I, I went to God and I said, Lord, I really need a close friend. And um, for me, I, I had to find it outside my church. Another, yeah. It was another pastor's wife. Yeah. And the Lord dropped a name in my heart. And I, I said to her, I, we actually went for coffee and I said, do you want to be my friend? And she said, yeah, do you want to be my friend? It was like junior high. Oh, my goodness. And yet she was a gift to me. And... Uh, God gave her to me. Let me paint a picture for those who are saying, you know, I don't even know the world of my pastor. I maybe shake his hand on the way out the door or mm -hmm. maybe say hello occasionally. But um, let me give you some data and have you respond to it. Um, this is research that showed that 50% of pastors have said they would quit if they could. 50%. That right there should be a jaw dropper. 70% um, have a lower self-esteem now than when they started in the ministry. Something is unhealthy there. Yeah. Uh, that shouldn't be the way it goes. Uh, what's fueling that kind of discouragement, do you think? I think there's expectations that a board can have of a pastor, expectations of congregants, and then there are your own expectations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what ha can happen, what we see and hear, is that people can be trying to meet those expectations, and they're owning somebody else's expectations, and you can never satisfy people. Mm. You know, we, I remember one of yeah. our mentors said to us, um, 
you know that 15% of the congregation isn't going to like you on a particular Sunday. And Think of the that. Next, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, just yeah. say that again. Yeah. You walk into work knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. Are not going to like are not going to like you. And yeah. the next yeah. Sunday, it'll be a different 15%. Yeah. Because, because of what you're saying. Because yeah. of what you're saying or something yeah. you did or something you didn't do in a service that you did the week before that they liked. Right. Let me let me interject here. Have you found that oftentimes it's because you've touched a raw nerve? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're responding mm-hmm. because you've really opened something up that's a wound. Yeah, isn't that true? That would be very. I would true. think most of the time that's accurate. You're stepping on something that maybe they haven't dealt with yet, or well, it they, isn't that part of the struggle, right? You're so you're you're their pastor, right. and you can you want to shepherd them and you want to guide them and and direct them at the same time. They're not treating you in a way that is making you feel like you want to shepherd them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the human side of the whole thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. If there's respect and they come and talk to you or you can see them and you're face-to-face and you're not speaking through the bush and that kind of a thing, that that Mm -hmm. is the best way to go. Let's be honest about it. What is the the issue that you have? Then we can have a conversation about it. But otherwise we can't because as pastors, I think it's really important for us to also understand our humanness. Yeah. Well, I thought you were talking marriage advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah this is pastors yeah. and congregants. I thought it was husbands and wives. <laughs> um, you yeah. actually have an incredible story about your situation, the pressure that you two were under, and you went to Carith Creek. You actually experienced it, I think, in 2011, right? Yeah. But, um, Sam, what were you doing? What was the situation? We'd been in uh, the pastorate for 19 years at that point. And we were getting tired. I would say the word exhausted would probably be a good word. And uh, there was just a number of things going on, uh, health issues in my family. And uh, we were in the middle of a church building project. And there was tensions and conflicts in our uh, leadership team. And so all of those things together, not just the ministry, but all of those things together, uh, really made us tired, made me tired. And I felt pretty exhausted and wasn't sure what to do about it. And so I remember going to a physician and talking to him, and he took 45 minutes with me. Uh, just talking about this kind of thing and whether there was some depression involved and so on. And then about two months later, I was sharing my story with someone else. And uh, I said, you know, sometimes I'm just laying on the couch or on the floor. I'm not quite sure what to do. And he looked at me and said, Sam, I don't know how to answer your, uh, your question. or I don't know how to solve your problem. But just let me, next time you feel like that, give me a phone call and I'll come and lay down beside you. Huh. Mm. And for me, it was just uh, in a how moment, a God moment. That helped me understand that he believed me, and uh, now we could work with it. Yeah. But until that point, you just felt like, where do I go from here? What do I do? Mm. Pauline, how do you shore that up? You see your husband in that situation. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're carrying that burden yeah. as well, and but probably feeling like I've got to be everything here. Well, I definitely felt the pressure to, you know how it is when you're married and, and your spouse is at a lower point, you want to be more positive, more optimistic, and, and carry more. And you often that vacillates, right? So one is down and the other is up. Mm-hmm. And But we found ourselves at a place we were both down. I just yeah. didn't have energy either to, to encourage Sam because I wasn't feeling that much encouraged either. In fact, I was getting more and more angry. You know, it's one thing to, to deal with the needs that people have in lives of unbelievers, but when tension comes within believers... That threw me for a loop. I didn't expect that. Yeah. And with the, the so degree that it went, it did. And it rocked my faith. I yeah. was like, Lord, you know, you've called us here and you've called them here. And why is there tension? Why yeah. can't we? Um, 
it shouldn't be this way. Yeah, we're, that's, we're your church. And that's probably why you yeah. see that number of 50% yeah. would do something else if they could, 50% of yeah. pastors, mm-hmm. 70% feel less equipped now than when they started in the ministry and, yeah. and more discouraged. Mm-hmm. Kareth Retreat. Um, describe that experience for yourselves, given the low point that you're both in. So you went to Kareth in 2011 mm-hmm. as pastors, as a pastoral couple, engaging it. What was it like? Uh, why did it help you? We walked to the front doors and we thought, so what are we doing here? It's terrifying. Uh, we don't have time for this. <laughs> yes, that's right. We don't Would have be, time for yeah, this. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that'd be the common thing. Yeah. I don't even think it was, for yeah. myself, it wasn't the time factor. It was... I don't want to be in ministry. I don't want to fix this so that I have to go back to church. So you were done. I, I wanted to be have permission to leave church. Huh. And wow. I wasn't prepared to engage with people. I didn't want to meet new people. I didn't want to put the smile on and have the, hi, I'm Pauline. And yeah, I, I didn't have any. No, I appreciate that. A, a, a space yeah. for your any tank was empty. It was it was done. <laughs> when we got to Calgary, we, we yeah. ended up uh, having lunch, and we got back in the car. We put back the seats, and we fell asleep in the parking lot. We, we were just tired, and so then we made our tired. way to the retreat center and. When we get there, uh, they told us, hey, you know what? There's no pressure. You can relax. You can rest. You have permission to rest right now. And we did. So the first couple of days, we did what we needed to, but we slept a lot. Yeah. And we got some good energy back. And that's at Kareth, we kind of recognized, yeah, we are, we are human. And we need to embrace our humanness and recognize that we have limitations. Yeah. But, you know, the permission that came for me at, at the creek was the fact that, you know, you have permission to be human as you serve. I don't have to be some superwoman that has, you know, as you mentioned, the kids all had to be in tow and the, their clothes had to be such and your smile on your face. I have permission to be real and I have permission to hurt when you have someone in your church yeah. that you're not just helping a grieving family, but you're grieving too. And uh, when we left there, it's not like we had all this magical formula now yeah. to go home and everything is, you know, miraculously Changed, right? But it's we still had the permission. Stuff. The stuff yeah. was still there, but we now had tools to to mm. learn how to minister yeah. from a healthier place. And thankfully, you're still in it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Each October, we observe a long-standing tradition here at Focus on the Family called Pastor Appreciation Month. A pastor's work is tiring, and we can all come alongside and encourage them as they work in our local churches. Focus on the Family has downloads, videos, and other tools to provide ideas to help you support your pastor and their family. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pastor Appreciation to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pastor Appreciation. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
Uh, Marshall and Mary, we're not going to let you off the hook here. So (laughs) you've been listening to Pauline and Sam. But um, you also have a powerful story about a couple that you encountered at the retreat center there in Alberta. Uh, Describe the challenges that that couple was going through. It's probably very similar, but why did that story stick out in your mind? They were a missionary couple Ah. and had come back uh, to Canada. You know, you hear stories all the time, and this one was a case of man, we couldn't really find anything that went well for them overseas. In fact, Mm. she came home and was diagnosed with PTSD. And when they came, they only came to Kareth because their denominational leader said, you are going. So they came in very closed at first. He was very distant. She was kind of open as we would talk. But, you know, there was no desire to be there because they didn't think anything could ever be fixed. They were really in a state of hopelessness. And they, so we went through the week with them, and we heard their story, and, and we were grieving with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sunday night, in the course of the week, the Sunday night is beautiful because it's a communion service. And at the end of the communion service, we love to pray with each of the couples. So Mary and I were going, and we, put our, we just knelt down in front of this couple, and the Lord dropped this verse into my heart. And I thought, oh, I, how do I share this verse? And I thought, okay, it's not going away, so I'm just going to pray this verse over him. So I pray this verse. And uh, at the end of it, he says to me, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, yeah, you probably do, and you're probably going to let me have it, because he just still wasn't open. So for an hour and a half, he really just opened up even more. But then he said to me, you know that we were going to quit. We were going back. We were leaving here Tuesday. We had an appointment Tuesday afternoon to meet with our denominational leader. We were leaving the ministry. But he said, that verse you prayed over me is the verse God called me into the ministry. And it was a reminder that God's not done with us. Mm -hmm. We felt done. We felt finished. Mm -hmm. We felt as if we'd come to the end. But your prayer tonight has sparked hope. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, and it's beautiful. And it's tragic. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. that we get so beaten up, so run yeah. down that it has to be that desperate moment. But mm-hmm. what a great testimony they have that yeah. God didn't yeah. forget them yeah. um, and that God still had a plan for them. Mary, tell me in that context again, when you're ministering to the wives of these spouses mm-hmm. that feel so hopeless. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopelessness is a hard thing to overcome in any walk of life. But when you're a person that should be full of hope yeah. because you're a Christian and you're a Christian leader, you're a pastor, you should be full of this hope and you don't have it. What do you do? Um, I find it's the lack of hope. And it's also what I'm seeing. I went through it certainly in my own life, but I'm hearing it all the time. Pastors' wives is a deep sense of disappointment Mm. because you didn't think it would be like this. You prayed that it would be different. You believed it would be different. You parented different. Mm. And yet your face, somewhere along the line with this profound sense of disappointment. One author says that it arrives so quietly, this disappointment, I didn't even know it was there until I spoke it out loud. And I certainly felt it in my own life. And we see that all the time in pastors' wives. It was uh, during one of our first retreats. And again, during this communion service, we were praying. And um, for the couples, and we just knelt down and just laid our hands on them and began to pray, just a simple prayer. And the pastor's wife began to weep from this really deep place. And you could tell that something was happening. And the next day she said to us, I'm so sorry, I could not contain this deep cry of my heart. And I said, can you tell me what was happening? And she said, "Um, 
when you knelt down and you, you laid your hands on us and began to pray, I realized that that was the first time in over two decades that a pastor and his wife had ever come and prayed with us. And she said that first time was when they, and the last time was when they sent us um, into ordination, when we were ordained to the ministry. Mm. And she said, for two decades... I've been without. We've been without that. Yeah, so all output, no input. Yeah, and she said it was so, I wonder what our lives would have been like and ministry would have been like if we would have had um, other leaders coming around and praying for us. Mm. So it, it met this felt need in her heart. And so, and we see that all the time happening. Yeah. Mary, what you mentioned the disappointment. Is that disappointment with God or with his people or with your performance? Mm. It's a great question. I think it's a combination of things. For me, it was disappointment with God. Mm. I, I really had a crisis of faith in 2014, and um, I was deeply disappointed, and it was with God. And I didn't know who to go to, because who does the pastor's wife go to? Mm. And... Um, so I just said one morning, Marshall came in, I was, I can remember exactly where I was standing and it wasn't that long ago, it was 2014. And I said to him, I want you to know I'm not praying anymore. It's done. I'm done. I'll sit in the front row with you. I won't jeopardize your position, but I want you to know I'm done praying. God's not answering our prayers. So I, I stopped praying and our war room, my war room was no longer the war room. It was just our spare bedroom. But I didn't stop reading my Bible. And God spoke to me directly out of Romans 11, verses 33 to 36 one morning. And um, I realized I was going to have to make a decision. Was I going to trust him um, not knowing what the outcome was? Was I going to trust that he was a good father and that he was working behind the scenes? And uh, it was a tipping point for me. And uh, I knew I had to make a decision. What in, what was Romans 11? Give us the verse so we can... <clears throat> it was, uh, Oh, the depths of the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, how unsearchable his ways and his paths beyond tracing out who can know the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor, mm. who has ever given to God that God should repay him for through him and to him and in him are all things. And at that moment, I was confronted with my own need. I felt God owed me an explanation um, why he wasn't doing things or why he was doing things. Yeah. And I knew I was going to have to decide what was I going to do not knowing, yeah. not knowing. Well, I appreciate so much that vulnerability, you know, and that's where we learn yeah. that pretending, Pauline, that we talked about a moment ago, uh, Mary's really hitting it there. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest. Yeah, and uh, I so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It does give us an action item for those who are in the pews, yeah. you know, those of us that aren't in pastoral leadership, how we can um, ask our pastor if we can pray for them right, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you have that story that that couple had not been prayed for for two decades yes. should be a wake-up call to the rest of us sitting there, how blessed they would be. Mm-hmm. And that's probably true of most pastors. That's probably not unique <laughs> to be able to go up at the end of the service when things are quiet and done and say, can we just pray for you? Yeah. They'd probably start crying. Yes, they do. Because nobody has done that. Um, We have an opportunity during October to encourage and celebrate pastors and their families because of Clergy Appreciation Month. This is your chance to let your pastor know how much you care about them. And maybe with a card or a simple gift. Some churches like to organize a banquet or some kind of an event to recognize their pastor. And if you'd like some creative ideas about how and what you can do, we have a free planning guide for you at our website. And I want to recommend you check it out. And don't limit your positive feedback to the month of October. 
pastors and their families need to know that we, the people sitting in the pews, care about them throughout the year. But this is a great reminder today that we need to start somewhere. So please, contact us about how you can begin encouraging your pastor in the days ahead. We have several resources that I know you'll find helpful. One is our Clergy Appreciation Month Planning Guide. And then we have a list of retreat centers that offer rest and renewal for church and ministry leaders. And of course, the book I mentioned earlier, The Heart of a Great Pastor, which offers a lot of encouragement uh, to pastoral couples. We'd be happy to send a copy of that book to you as you make a donation of any amount to Focus on the Family, either a monthly pledge or a one-time gift. Uh, That's our way of saying thank you for partnering with us to show pastors and their families how much we care and uh, we'll have all the details on the website. Let me pop one last question, and y'all can answer one of you, whatever. Um, a practical thing. So someone's heard this, they've noticed, maybe they've talked to the pastor's wife, and they know there's some difficulty. Uh, what is something we can do to help our pastors today? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that we found neat was gift cards. For them, yeah, yeah. We take a date night. Here's a here's, card, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We, and so we've uh, we were the beneficiaries of that, and then now that we're sitting in the pew for yeah. in October, that's what we did for our pastor. We right. said, hey, here's a gift card. This is for you and your wife. You mm-hmm. find somebody to take care of your kids, and then he sent us a note and said, man, that was such a neat idea that you had for us. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate Pastors Appreciation Month, but H.B. London, who was at Focus, started that. I think even Hallmark picked up on it and started doing cards. So when you get that, that's a pretty good idea. But I think H. would also say he laments the fact that that's great we are concentrating in October, but we got 11 other months. And how beautiful it is to do some things throughout the year. So that's a great idea. Thanks for that. Can I add one? Sure. Okay, so when I... Uh, we have four kids, and so the house was busy, and we had a couple approach us one time and say, you know what? We're taking your kids go-karting, and you can't come. You guys get the night off, and we're taking your kids. <laughs> I was going to say exactly that one. So, <laughs> so you remember that one? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know? well, Sam, you wanted to go go-karting, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Leave the kids yeah. here, and we'll go go-karting yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when as a mom, to have somebody pour yes. into your yeah. kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of the role that you play and the difference that you're making in their lives, like that just does something to you. That's fantastic. And, and they That's love a on great them, idea. You know, and, yeah. and it's evident today because we, we too were in the same church for 22 years. And our kids, that's home for them. Yeah. And it's multi-generational, and it's because those of those events throughout those times. And, hey, we're we're going to take them. We're just well, still home for that, us. That was huge. That well was said. huge. Yeah. Well said. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Yeah, thank it's you. great you. to be yeah. here. What a great conversation we've had today with our panel of guests who have helped us to better understand the important need to care for our pastors and their families and to pray for them on a regular basis. Now, don't forget the resources that we've mentioned along the way, the free planning guide for ways to celebrate your pastor this month and the list of retreat centers that offer rest and refreshment to ministry leaders. And then finally, the book, The Heart of a Great Pastor, is a really good gift idea for your pastor. Learn more about all of these resources at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. Christ.